0: Welcome to Ridgewood Talks. Through this podcast, we will be introducing you to some of the leaders and legends in our village. We'll keep you updated about fascinating local events, and we'll dig into the town's hot topics and so much more. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeannie Johnson, the founder of Ridgewood Talks and Ridgewood Walks. The goal of these initiatives is to create a kinder, more connected, and more vibrant community. I'm thrilled to be co-hosting this podcast with my good friend and all-around wonderful guy, Jordan Kaufman. We look forward to meeting with you weekly and hearing your thoughts on who and what you'd like to learn about in our beautiful hometown. Enjoy this episode!
1: Hey Jordan, how
2: are you? Yeah, doing good. Jeannie, I know uh, you know we normally get these out a couple uh, a little after we do the recording, but just so people know, this is the snow day. I got the whole crew at home. Ridgewood just looks so beautiful when it's covered in a fresh dusting of snow. So uh, not unhappy about it, even though i kind of had my fingers crossed. hoping we make it through the whole year without any snow, but what are you going to do when it looks this nice? I'm, I'm not going to complain.
1: I think it's good that you got snow up there. Um, I am I'm calling in from a remote location where there is no snow, and it is a gorgeous day. So um, I'm I'm really sad that I'm missing the snow, though I have to say I have seen pictures of it, and I think it looks glorious. Ridgewood is absolutely beautiful when the snow comes. Um, so I, uh, knowing that I am uh, calling in remotely, I actually have to jump off of this interview, which makes me super duper sad. This is one of the most coveted. Interviews for me. And I am just so honored that this guest has uh, agreed to be on our show. So we're delighted to have her. I'm just going to go right into it. She, this person, has been a part of Ridgewood Fabric since she was born. And she definitely made an indelible impact in her roles at the Ridgewood Police Department, where she's worked for 27 years. The last six have been as the Chief of Police, a title very few women achieve. In fact, Chief Flutke was the first female police chief in Ridgewood and only the second in Bergen County and one of only a handful in the state. She started with the Ridgewood Police Department in 1996 as a patrol officer and oversaw the department's property evidence department and was given assignments in the community policing and detective bureaus. She was then promoted to sergeant in 2005. After her promotion to lieutenant in 2008, She supervised the night shift and oversaw the department's accreditation process. I don't know what that is, but she will tell us. She was then promoted to captain in 2010 and was in charge of all patrol and administrative functions. She received the Distinguished Leadership Award from the New Jersey Public Safety Accreditation Coalition and served as its president. She received a bachelor's degree in sociology and criminology from Ohio University and the West Point Command and Leadership Program at the top of her class. I am proud and honored that Chief Jackie Lutke has taken the time to be on our show. And for those listeners who don't know, she will be retiring from the Ridgewood Police Department to pursue other career goals uh, later on this spring. Um, Anyway, I want to take this opportunity to thank her for her dedication to our village. Chief Lutke and I have worked together on many initiatives and have always had the best time together. I have relied on her professionalism and sage advice many, many times. Her commitment to the safety of the residents in this community is always at the forefront of her mind. The respect she has and shows to her staff and colleagues is an inspiration, truly. Leaders like Jackie are very hard to come by. So my friend, I wish you the very best and hope we can find time to break bread together and catch up occasionally. Unfortunately, I have a bit of an emergency that I need to tend to, to this morning. So I need to break away from this interview. But Jackie, you and Jordan have a lot to discuss. So until we meet again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the ways you contributed contributed to our
3: community. That's it. That's what I'm gonna say. Thank you, Jeannie. I have truly cherished us working together, and it's things like the relationships that I have built with people like you that I will really miss about this job. Um, As I've stated, I'm not going anywhere, and the good part is I can get rid of the headaches of being responsible for all of our big events and actually (laughs) be there as a participant and enjoy them.
1: Well, let's hope so. I hope that you can come and not kind of look around and say, "Oh, I see, I see a hole over there." It's, it's always second nature. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Now, honestly and truly, it has been such a sincere pleasure working with you. And you know, a lot of times we would be on calls together, and, and and then afterwards we would have a little chat, and and you'd give me some really good advice on how to move forward with things, and I I really appreciated that more than you'd ever know. So. Um, I am I know this is a secret. You're not able to tell us what you're on to
3: next, but I can't wait to find out. <laughs> when can we when will we find out what you're up so to? So I, I have a couple of irons in the fire right now. And my first is I am just taking some time off with uh, moving my parents. We literally are having the estate sale next weekend at their house. So things have been crazy busy on both the personal and professional front recently, and I just need some time to decompress, taking a little vacation in May, and it will be the first time that I will have not had to th- think about work um, in forever.
1: Yeah, since you, your career began, I'm sure, and I have to believe that some of the stress that you are decompressing from was COVID related because it had to be really intense in your department during the last three years, right?
3: Everybody has had that COVID stress. And then you add to that all of the changing legislation that we have had to handle. Every day you wake up and we have to learn how to do something different in police world.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that's been really challenging. And I I recognize that from every level of our government, locally, especially, you know, from um, the village council level to our village manager to the police department and in, in our school district, everybody has really felt a lot of pressure the last three years. So, again, I'm not surprised there's been a mass exodus in many fields after COVID, so. Um, like I said, I, I wish you all the best in everything that you do. And I'm pleased to know that you're staying in town. So I'll be able to bump into you from time to time, too. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to sign off. Jordan, you got yeah. this. I'll talk to you later, Jeannie.
2: Thanks, thanks you guys. Thanks, Jeannie. Bye. Um, so, Jackie, obviously, it's uh, it, it's always been a little bit unique for me. And and for those listeners who don't know, um, my wife and Jackie are cousins, so it's always been a kind of an interesting view, uh, where we'll go from you know kind of talking about family stuff, and then and then it's like oh Jackie's got a call. It's like oh and there she goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also a very unique experience uh, when my father in law passed, and and you know showing up at the driveway and kind of not knowing you know what what was going on, and you know you're the first person I run into there to kind of you know tell me what's going on and and here's everything going and it was just such a warm feeling i think when you think about you know small towns and and you know the municipal features and and being able to know your local police know who they are you know that that is really one of the unique things about this town i think so uh you know i certainly was thankful for you to be uh there for that event and for every event you know that we have it's always nice to see you knowing that you're putting your uh you know your thought process into it which i know is very thorough and and you're always thinking about the safety and you know how to how to also make it a successful event so it's always been nice to to see you at those uh and we certainly will miss you in the future but i think one of the one of the interesting things that i've heard from you is some of the challenges that you've seen in over your career and they're not always challenges that i would expect you know we kind of get this this view from the media of what challenges police face, but um, I, I always feel like it's felt a little different uh, when I've asked you about some of those challenges and I've heard your perspective. So I was wondering if, if you'd be okay sharing some of the challenges and some of the big challenges or some of the unforeseen challenges that you found as, as you went through your career or as you ran into things in, in your line of, uh, in your line of duty.
3: That's kind of a tough question because it is so wide open. One of the aspects of this job that I love and the reason that a lot of people get into it is because you never know what you're going to get. So it's not your office job that you're walking into and you kind of know your usual routine. You know the type of paperwork you're going to be seeing. You know the type of clients that you deal with. That is just completely untrue in police world. We can one second be going to... I'll take today a car stuck in a snowbank call or someone that has locked their keys in the car to a working house fire or a medical call or a domestic violence call or a theft call or a stolen vehicle call. And it so drastically changes how we have to deal with people and the adrenaline levels that police officers have to go through from talking to the scared four-year-old because mommy got hurt to the aggressive, intoxicated abuser in another situation. And we can literally finish one call and go to the next. And it's a complete change of how we have to handle things. It's one of the biggest stressors in police work but it's also one of the reasons we all get into it, because it changes and because we want to be there to help people in such a wide variety of situations.
2: Yeah, no, I think that, um, you know, because we're so Hollywoodized, we often, you know, we, we can envision the angry, intoxicated aggressor, but we rarely connect with the police officer who's trying to comfort a child you know, during a moment of, of their distress. And that's something, you know, we probably have a little bit of a warped perception on how much of your time is spent in A versus B, but it's probably a little bit more balanced. And like you say, it it can kind of show up at any moment. And that, that definitely sounds like, uh, an incredible challenge. Um, one additional thing and Jeannie kind of led to this is the unique challenges being a female officer and certainly also being a female officer who's kind of climbed to, you know, the top of the ranks. Um, are there any particular things in, in that that posed um, a challenge or, or just things you ran into where, uh, you know, that, that played a unique role in, in how things played out or, or how you felt about the situation?
3: So this job still is a lot of, a lot of an old boys network, but it is changing. Um, You have people on all sides. Early in my career, I remember being told once that the town wasn't ready for females. I had another situation where there was a call about a broken lift on a handicapped accessible van. And I got out of my car and was literally said, the person looked at me and said, oh, I was expecting a man. Then when I turned around and got my toolkit and fixed the problem, they were a little flabbergasted and just said thank you before they left. The very first bar fight I got into, well, not that I got into, but that I had to respond to.
2: (laughs) Important clarification. (laughs) Exactly.
3: (laughs) Um, I went into with, at the time, the biggest member of our department. And I will never forget. It was in the basement of a bar and he went down and he took his two fighting people and he held one in each arm, one in each hand and separated them. And I remember my my quick thought process of going, I can't do that, but I have two people to break up too. So I pulled one person off and threw him the other direction. That way it ensured my fight was still broken up, too, and it proved to my coworkers that I was not afraid of getting into the mix with someone. You also have to have the gift of gab sometimes. I remember going to a call where a man, it, it was during the holidays, and they were having their Christmas party, and he had a drink or two, but the medication he was on was a horrendous interaction with and he became very violent. I'm not exaggerating when I say this man was about six foot four and built. And I knew that if we had to fight with him, multiple people were going to the hospital, officers included. And I had the right mix of people there so that he and I connected and talked and everybody was able to deescalate to the point that he voluntarily put his hands behind his back so we could safely handcuff him but when i said he was big we had to use two sets of handcuffs because his hands wouldn't go together behind him <laughs> so it's a variety of things that we have men who can talk just as well as some of our as our women can i am not the only female in the department we do have one other she is also very good and then we have people who say the wrong thing at the wrong time and can set people off. I'm very proud to say that in our department, we've been taking a verbal judo class for a while now, even before things like that were implemented in the state, to allow people to learn how to talk better because we all can say those trigger words without meaning to. I was very fortunate of having people that supported me as I worked my way through the ranks, both in this department and outside of this department, becoming a chief and having our, from the Bergen County Chiefs Association to the state organization, there truly are people there that it makes no difference that I'm a female. I am one of the chiefs and I am treated as such. And that is the direction the world is going. I'm just hoping we get more women that get into this profession.
2: That's uh, that's an excellent color, by the way. Enjoy the visuals of those stories. One thing that was interesting to me as we were talking on one of our committee calls was the parking garage and some of the issues, some of the safety issues that we were having and asking questions about what the police could do and hearing how some of the regulations had changed, especially since, you know, as I grew up in the town and I think about what I recall of stories of, of you know, police and, and what was going on. And how that role that you guys have had with with folks has changed—that came as kind of a surprise to me. I didn't even know that that some of those changes had come in place, and and I know that some of them make sense, but but it also makes your job in some ways more challenging. So I, I don't know if there's anything you're uh, open to saying to some of the changes that have happened and and how you guys are are operating.
3: So, juvenile regulations have changed specifically within the last few years. I will talk on a on a nationwide level for a moment that there are some departments that do things better than the way other departments do. But we all eventually get lumped into the same scope, which really isn't fair. Judging any one group by any associated characteristic is wrong. And it's something we all know But police often get lumped into one group, but that's not an accurate statement either. With juveniles, it has gone from a more hands-on approach to the first step being a very sometimes frustrating hands-off approach. Which means when we see a group of children doing something that may be wrong, such as throwing something off the roof of a parking garage. (laughs) In some ways, the first thing we are supposed to do, and I won't go as far as throwing, because throwing, we would stop and get names. But if we see a group of kids hanging out on the top floor of the parking garage, where we know we have had issues in the past, But we may not see them doing anything, but it's really not good for anyone to be congregating in a parking garage. All we're technically supposed to do is kind of roll down the window and tell them to leave. And then we're supposed to try to guess how old they are, what race they are, and what their sexual identity is. Now, all of that is a very hot topic thing right now. And the last thing we want to do is to try to play guesswork at that. And it puts us in a very unfair light. If things then progress, and we do have juveniles involved with criminal mischief, and that would be more along the lines of throwing things, we can stop and identify them. But unless things get worse, or we know for a fact It's more than one occasion. We're not bringing them in to talk to them. We're not talking to their parents about it. So there's really no follow-up and it can make it very frustrating for us. One of the things that the legislators initially did, and it has since been corrected, fortunately, was when the new marijuana laws came out. Initially... If we caught a juvenile with marijuana, we weren't even allowed to tell their parents. And most parents want to know that. The alcohol then got lumped into that as well. We catch the kid with alcohol and you weren't allowed to tell the parents. And again, most parents say that's absolutely ridiculous. And eventually the legislators did change that. So even on a first offense, we are allowed to tell them. But if a juvenile... And I almost don't even want to say some things out loud because I don't want to give them good ideas if they're <laughs> listening to it. But our hands have gotten very tied, good, bad and other, in order to enforce some of the legislation that has been handed down.
2: Yeah, no, and it, it's it's challenging because, you know, on one hand, like you say, you you know, you hear stories um not necessarily local stories, but like you say, it gets lumped into the national conversation and, you know, the, the pendulum kind of swings in different directions. And then, you know, you hear about, you know, places in, in cities where Walgreens and CBS's are shutting down because they can't stop, you know, just the ridiculous, like petty theft that's going on where kids are just running and stealing stuff and running out. And there's there's really no uh, no ability to stop that because people's hands have been tied. And so it is it's kind of one of those things where it's a head scratcher on you know what's the right uh, what's the right step forward. I'm sure everyone's got an opinion, but without looking at all the facts, it becomes a little bit difficult to uh, to figure out the right way to to kind of police the whole situation.
3: It's that fine line between over policing and making kids scared of police and under policing and making kids have no respect for anyone because there are no ramifications for bad behavior. As you talk
2: about that, that's kind of one of those leadership, you know, uh, C-suite kind of questions of, you know, where does that fine balance land? And that, that kind of brings to another question, which was, what was one of your favorite parts about being... In leadership with the Ridgewood Police Department.
3: The opportunities that I've been given, being able to be involved with so many community groups and such a varied type of personality within those groups has been some of the most fun and fulfilling and educational opportunities that I have had in my career.
2: I guess that kind of also leads in uh, to what are some of the things you're going to miss most about not being the chief of police when your retirement is processed?
3: Taking on some of some of those opportunities, I never would have thought that I would have a value to to do some of the readings that I've done with the community or or speeches. Speaking to the community, being able to take part in the interfaith Thanksgiving and Holocaust Memorial and MLK services and the pride celebrations and the stop Asian hate celebrations, even some of the protests that have occurred for a variety of reasons in the village some of them we've all been on the same page because it's not against police it is pro other other things but being able to meet people from the Ridgewood Japanese association and Chinese association and Korean association and knowing that we have such a depth of um, compassion and value, and that so many of these groups, what they all want is for the betterment of the village, that we all share that same heart, is it? It just it makes me smile.
2: That again, that's one of those eye openers of what are what do you do when you're a Ridgewood police, and so much of it is probably not in the top five things that people would answer on Family Feud, so.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and for me, the show of support that I know the next chief will get to, but the, the 4th of July for us, is the longest day that we have. We start at six o'clock in the morning and we end at 11, 1130 at night. And we are on go mode all day long. And for anybody who has ever walked in the parade, they know it's a really long walk. But part of what keeps you going on that is the support of the community that comes out to watch it. Seeing people that you really only get to see once a year because schedules are so busy. And we have such fantastic events here. That's where I said, I'm I'm looking forward to coming to the car show and downtown for the holidays and the street fairs. And yes, Jeannie is right. My eyes are still gonna be open, but I know it's not gonna be my responsibility. And I can just talk with people. I think it was the car show last year that my husband came to meet up with me and he called to see where I was. And I think I was at Ridgewood and Oak Street. And he's like, Okay, I'm gonna see some cars and I'll I'll meet you in a little bit. And About half an hour later, he calls me back and he says, all right, where are you now? And I laughed and I said, I haven't moved any because of the number of people who just want to say hi. It's just such a welcoming and warm, warming feeling.
2: I I think one of the things I've learned a lot about in town events and is how involved the police is at every step of the way. And I think that's kind of important for people in the town to recognize and our listeners to hear is anything that goes on, you guys are notified immediately and safety concerns are addressed and how involved the police are in, in making sure that everything is is going to be safe for people, safe for kids, safe for visitors, traffic's going to be, you know, how do, how do we deal with traffic better? I know everyone expects everything to run perfectly, but traffic would be five times as worse if you weren't there making some adjustments for what is going on. And so uh, that's something that I have a new appreciation for is how involved the police are and kind of thinking through each of these events and how to make it run as smoothly as possible and as safely as possible. Um, You kind of start talking about the next police chief, and that brings uh, us to our next question, which is what three pieces, you don't necessarily have to have three if you had three, we're happy to hear three pieces of advice that you have for the next Ridgewood chief of police.
3: And it's funny because it's hard. And I think both of the next two potentials already have a lot of these qualities. One is being open and willing to learn. And I knew I always was. But I have learned so much more and grown so much more as chief because you have so many more interactions, and it is that willingness. You know what I have coming up next month, and I can only make two out of the three, but I have three different iftar dinner invitations. That really, prior to becoming chief, I, I I had heard of it, but I never had the opportunities or wasn't aware that I may have had the opportunities to participate in. And I think it's really just good management in general. Sometimes you have to be willing to agree to disagree. It's that old adage of you can make some of the people happy some of the time, but you'll never make all of the people happy all of the time. And <laughs> you have to be willing to have some of that give and take. As you said, it will never be perfect. We have a ton of road jobs. I would love to tell people there's no problem traveling around Ridgewood, but there will always be construction and nobody's happy when that construction is in front of their house, but it's in the best interest of the village to get it done and accomplished in the shortest possible manner to make it easier in the long run. And, and that, and, and I think something that we are all good at I will say one of the hard parts of the job is the never-ending email that a lot of other jobs can relate to. You never thought it would be that involved with police work, but it is. The world revolves around it now. But trying to stay connected to the people and remembering that email can be very misconstrued.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I think... You know, the the typewriter and the fax machine and some of these things are all being outdated. And I look forward to a day when email is eradicated from the face of the earth. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I'm with you. My inbox is painfully swollen at all times, personal, professional, doesn't matter. Here's here's a little bit of a, of a question that I, I know what your answer is going to be, but always interested to hear how it's going to be worded. Some people find that police work, and obviously in Ridgewood, it's not like working in, you know, downtown New York or the Bronx or things like that. But it's got its own interesting challenges. And sometimes you face whatever that community's is ugliest parts. Uh, you also, you know, end up being part of a lot of, you know, some of the, the, you know, amazing emotional moments as well. As you mentioned, we talked about that that kind of two-sidedness. But I wondered, as as you walk through that and you're forced to face the one side and the other side and, and having to see that, does that have, how, how does that kind of impact your view of the community? Does that ultimately seeing kind of the dirty laundry make you feel differently about the community or is that just, that's just part of the nature of it? I mean, I, I, I don't know, that question probably didn't come out right, but uh, I think you get the gist.
3: It's part of the nature of it. It's kind of seeing how the building is built. We will deal with a family because there's an addiction problem within the family. Sometimes we can get that person help and then we see the family at one of our events. You have to be able to differentiate those things because there is the personal and professional side of it. We are not airing anyone else's dirty laundry. There is a very confidential nature in every aspect of police work. We don't want our plans for our special events to get out to people either, because that is how we help keep our residents and our visitors safe. So we want people willing to come forward to us knowing that we're not telling their nosy neighbor next door. Even if their nosy neighbor next door comes in and asks for a police report about it, there are regulations that say we can't give that out. So you are protected and that's what we are here for.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's important to know that, you know, sometimes we get lost in the idea that uh, the police are here to help. And sometimes, you know, when, when we spend most of our time interacting with police, if we're going five miles over the speed limit or something like that, it it becomes a little bit of feeling like cat and mouse, but they're your friends and <laughs> That sometimes gets uh, gets lost in, in the fold, I think, of whatever craziness we get exposed to all the time. So um,
3: let, let me just take that as a case in point. So most people see the bad side of getting stopped because you're going over the speed limit. But that helps satisfy the residents' complaints about cars speeding down their streets. That helps keep our pedestrians safer because there are statistics about at what speed people get hit and what speed they get killed versus injured. It helps prevent the car accidents because you have the car making a turn based on them thinking the person's going the speed limit at 25 miles an hour, not making the turn in front of the car that's going 45, and now we have a motor vehicle crash involved. So there are a lot of those safety pieces we're here to help. We are not here to punish you for going over the speed limit, we're here to help you learn why you shouldn't be going over the speed limit.
2: Yes, all fair and certainly something on uh on the street I find myself on now with a with a large hill. <laughs> you get some people who you know, if you're not riding the brake, you're going to find yourself going pretty fast, pretty quick.
3: Chime into that. One of the things I like best right now is as the police chief, I have a take home unmarked vehicle and I love driving it at the speed limit because it's amazing if I'm doing 25, maybe 30 miles an hour. There are people that get very very upset with me and start riding my tail or people have tried to go around me on a double yellow line. I love stopping those cars because I can. And it's those cars that the rest of you sit there and go, "Where's a police officer when we need one?" That helps show them. I had somebody that was mad at me because I was go I wasn't going fast enough and I said, "I'm doing 31 miles an hour, which is 6 miles an hour over the speed limit." That means technically I'm a little in the wrong myself, but you trying to pass me makes it even worse. And those tickets are a whole lot. So it's, again, for the benefit of everyone. No one wants a road rage incident behind them. And I love making those things stop and people learning.
2: I, I agree with you 100%. I think that as we see those things, I think everyone should kind of sit back and reflect. When you see someone going fast down your, down your street, 25 mile an hour street, and you get sensitive about it, you know, there's some reflecting of, well, how fast are we driving down other people's residential streets? And that's what really makes a community is just being thoughtful of your neighbor. And so I think, um, you know, it's all something we can always have some reflection for. So that's, that's a great point you raised there, Jackie. Anything else that, You'd like to say before we we wrap up here uh, to the listeners, to the community about just some thoughts to share or, or anything else. I think that that last point you made is one of those good points of we're not doing things to punish you, but we're doing things to help keep a community safe.
3: It is the be a good neighbor and help each other out. Be proactive in your own safety. Be aware of your surroundings. Lock your cars lock your houses yes we live in ridgewood but it's the message we push out with almost every press release that we put out is please practice good safety because the more we can practice good safety the less the criminals start to look for things If there's no cars left with keys in them or unlocked with briefcases and purses in them, they don't come here anymore. And my big thing is also just to say thank you. Thank you for the support that I have received through the years from this community. This is my home. My heart belongs here. I will always love Ridgewood and have the best interest of Ridgewood at heart, and I look forward to seeing everyone even after I am retired and can now enjoy things in a slightly different manner.
2: Hear, here, Jackie. We will definitely enjoy seeing you uh, in town. And as Jeannie said before, I think it, it's just been... Uh, an incredible job that you've done. I know for me is being a father of two daughters. I think that you are an incredible role model. So, you know, I think I speak for, you know, everyone I know that we really appreciate everything you've done for the town and the symbol that you've been able to represent for the town as as just a fantastic leader and safety provider and and just someone who has really always had their moral compass pointed, you know, dead north. So uh, thank you so much for everything you've done and, and continue to do. And I think the symbol you will continue to be to the residents in the town who have such great appreciation for you.
3: Thank you. And I know I will be leaving the village in very good hands, whichever captain gets chosen as the next chief.
2: We appreciate that, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us today and stay safe out there.
3: Thank you for having me. You too.
2: Bye everyone. See you next time.